Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. And today joining us are two experts on the show here for the full hour, are Scott Phillips joining me from The Motley Fool and Joshua Barker from Macro. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome to The Call. Danielle, good day. Thank you. No problem. Yeah, nice to see you both here. So today we have our first five stocks that the uh, audience has picked. We have Parenti, Magellan Financial, Frontier Digital, uh, Frontier Digital Ventures, Capricorn Metals. But before we go there, Aravella Therapeutics as well. But before we go there, I just thought we'd check in, first of all, of what you're both thinking about the markets at the moment. So, Scott, have, are you leaning towards still buying at the moment or more a selling bias? Uh, Danielle, yeah, look, I'm a long-term investor, mate. I'm very, very rarely having a, a selling bias on a market level. Uh, I don't try and pick market directions or market trends. So, uh, look, as a long-term investor, if there's value, you buy it. If there's not, you leave it alone. I think there's probably, if you go through the market, this is what's always fascinating, right? If you go through the market, I think there are pockets of opportunity, uh, particularly around retail still, and believe it or not, some tech, not all tech, but some tech, I think there's some, some really significant value there. Overall, I'm not particularly worried about the market level. As an ETF investor, I'd be happily adding at this point. Uh, I think the long-term growth of the market will take care of most of that. But again, no short, medium-term view. I, I don't trade. So uh, I'm always looking to buy, very, very rarely looking to sell, unless there's a company-specific reason, a company thesis that's broken. Fair enough. What about you, Joshua? Yeah, we prefer to be a little bit more active, particularly in the range that we've saw over the last uh, 18 to almost 24 months. Um, So we were fortunate enough to load in um, on a lot of quality names around that sort of sub-7,000 level on the index. Um, And we just like to stay disciplined to our strategy. And our strategy would be to take some profits and take some risk off the table in the equity markets as we near those you know, somewhat all-time highs. Um, so especially on the Aussie market, um, if we do get a run on with the US earnings season, um, we'll look to capitalise on that and, uh, you know, go to being somewhat more defensive as the market nears those high levels. Fair, fair enough. So let's just have a look at the stock of the day. And uh, I thought we would focus on uh, the lithium sector, because the lithium sector is always controversial and interesting in Australia. And uh, Pilbara Minerals today is um, one of the top, up about 3% today on the all ordinaries. And it's interesting because you actually have UBS having come out this morning saying they have cut their forecasts for lithium miners between 10 and 40% in the short term. But uh, over the longer term, they're actually a lot more bullish. So I thought, well, 
with lithium stocks um, undergoing a bit of profit taking recently, let's focus in on Pilbara. And uh, yeah, Scott, would you be looking to buy at these levels? I'm going to disappoint uh, you and your viewers, Danielle, but I will be controversial, so that's always fun. Mate, I'm, I've been a, a long-term uh, avoider of the lithium sector, and that's not changing today, and it's not changing when it comes to Pilbara. And it comes down to a couple of things, mate, but largely it's very, very difficult with any confidence to forecast the long-term price of any commodity, including lithium. I have absolutely no issue in believing that we will be using a lot more lithium and a lot more battery uses, large electric vehicles, home storage, battery storage at a grid scale. Uh, those things I think are very likely. Now, they're not necessarily guaranteed. The next battery technology may not be lithium ion. I'm not an industrial chemist, so I'm not gonna make a bet on that, but that's part of the problem, right? Unless you know what that's gonna be, that's hard. Even if, and let's assume, lithium demand remains strong and is the battery mineral of choice over multiple years to come, the next question is then, what does the price look like? Now, I've uh, told this story before on the call. If you look over the 20th century, the price of oil went up about two and a half times roughly in real value, adjusted for inflation, real value. That's despite having no meaningful oil drilled in 1900. By 2000, we were doing hundreds of millions of barrels a day. Now, if you think about that and think, how can that exponential growth still only have had the price go up by two and a half times or so? The answer is because more supply comes on stream, it gets cheaper, technology improves. And what you find is a supply response as well as a demand response, even with that astonishing growth. If you'd said to me in 1900, hey, here's what's gonna happen on oil over the 20th century, I probably would have lost a lot of money by saying, you know what, I'm all in. Uh, lock, lock me down, put me down for everything. That's gonna be fantastic, I can't wait to be part of it. And yet, the price has been largely, well, I'm absolutely sure disappointing if you ask someone at the beginning of the first wildcat strike and said, this is what's going to happen to oil, they wouldn't have believed you. So I don't know what happens. And sometimes the too hard pile is a very welcome place. So I'm putting lithium there squarely and fairly. I'm not bearish, not betting against it, but I'm absolutely not betting for it because I have no concept of what the price will be in three, five or 10 years time. And as, a, as an investor, as a long-term investor, if you don't have a view on that, I don't think you have a, a place investing in lithium. Yeah, that's fair enough. The commodities can be challenging to say the least because they are highly <laughs> cyclical. With that perspective, Joshua, how are you looking at uh, Pilbara? Yeah, probably a little bit similarly, um, but on a probably much more shorter time period. Um, so it's obviously been a, a great performer over the last few years. Um, lithium miners have been bid up since the start of 2021. Um, but prior to that, again, we were in a, a consolidation period for about four years as there were concerns that there was going to be an oversupply and that the demand would raise. So I think we will start to, um, you know, switch over to that. You know, that's capitalist market at the end of the day. Um, you know, it, it, more and the more it's demanded, it's obviously going to be uh, supply will be matching that if there's cap, cap money to be made. Um, so we're seeing that now. A lot of lithium mines are due to come online over the next couple of years. So, yeah, not necessarily um, bearish on, on the lithium market, but... Uh, you know, it has struggled this calendar year anyway. Um, and, you know, we're going to see some consolidation in that area. If you do want to pure play lithium, um, this would be my preferred name because they do have the BMX platform where they can sell their lithium to bidders rather than agreement with a single firm, unlike a lot of other Aussie uh, lithium miners. Plus, they are paying dividends as well. Um, so if you do want to be in this space, I think Rubara is the 
best place to be in that space. Um, but even just in the ultra short term, it is struggling to significantly go above that $4 mark uh, this, this year. So um, I'd just be cautious with it at, at least. Cautious and, and not really looking to buy at these levels then? No. Okay, fair enough. Right. Well, let's move on to our first stock of the day, which has been picked by John and is Parenti. And the code there is PRN. So we have a global mining services company. I might start with you, Joshua. What's your view on our first stock of the day? Well, you know, we just spoke about how difficult um, commodities can be to price in over the long term Um, and general consensus is at the moment that we are getting towards the latest stages of this commodity cycle. Um, So as prices come off and and you might be a little bit more concerned about the actual commodity prices, um, mining companies capex into companies like Parenti are still going to be quite strong. They're a little bit more of a longer term uh, decision, less reactive based on the price and uh, somewhat lagging as well. So these guys seem to be well positioned um, over the last year. They've done extremely well, as you can see there. Um, they've got to focus on sort of safety as m- on mines, which is essential for you know mining companies at the moment. Um, they're also looking to add a lot of ESG to their you know sort of workplaces uh, with things like harassment and, and company uh, sustainability as well. So the numbers have been quite good in the last year or so. We've seen the stock up. Um, almost about 100% from those lows of about nine months ago. Um, you know, earnings up 40-odd percent. They also upgraded their guidance. So this is one that's definitely in an upgrade cycle. Um, in the short term, it's in an uptrend, but over the last sort of five years plus, it hasn't done remarkably. So I think uh, this one would be a hold. They've also given guidance that they're looking to update uh, their revenues by over 100% and 95% of that is secured. So I'd definitely be holding for the time being. Um, But uh, yeah, definitely one that if it does continue on over the next year or so, they're gonna get that strong demand. It's gonna be priced in because a lot of the contracts they've secured They've also got a lot of contracts in the pipeline. Um, that's all. That's all. You know, seemingly being priced into the stock at the moment. So it will continue to do well in the short term. Um, but I do have concerns over its long-term uh, ability to sh- deliver shareholder performance. So I hold for now. Um, but I'd be, I'd be looking to exit. You know, on the next rally or wherever you see fit. Right. Fair enough. And uh, I'm going to guess that, uh, Scott, this was going to fit probably into your commodities category and probably I could do commodities slash contractors category because they tend to be a little bit high risk. But uh, maybe you could uh, share some more thoughts on Parenti. Yeah, I'm going to give you a solid kind of, Danielle, because, uh, yes, it absolutely is related to the commodity space. But we also know mining services contractors don't necessarily follow entirely those commodity cycles, particularly for those that have geographic and industry diversification. And I've got to say, Printy actually meets that, fits that bill. So I'm not as bearish on mining services players as I generally am on the commodities themselves. Uh, as long as they have good contracts with good quality businesses and have that internal diversification. So Parenti kind of fits that bill. But I find myself agreeing with Joshua almost entirely in terms of the way the market's looking at this one. If you look backwards, it's something like eight odd, sorry, 20 odd times historical earnings. Looking forward, 
uh, less than, I think it was four or five times, something like that. You've got a really significant gap. And I think when you look at the financials of this business, you do see that exact boom-bust cycle in these numbers. 2018, uh, 15 cents a share. Then 2019, they lost money. 2020, they made about 11 cents a share, back to 16 in 2021, then to five cents last year. And so this is a really, really volatile earnings business. And fundamentally, I think if you're an investor over any long period of time, you ask yourself, what are, what are those things going to look like over one, two, three, five years from now? I've got to say, history doesn't paint a very pretty picture of the sustainability or uh, the ability for any analyst, I think, to forecast reasonably that level of earnings. Layer on top of that, what Joshua said about the commodity cycle potentially slowing down, and I think you give, it's, it's not exactly a risky business, but I think it's a risky investment when it comes to trying to price up the right point to buy shares in Parenti. Uh, so look, I don't know I'd rush out of this one, uh, but I don't, definitely wouldn't be buying. What you want to do is you want to buy it at a, at a high multiple of historic earnings. Um, if you think it's a volatile but sustainable business, then just make sure you're paying a really, really good price to allow for that risk and that volatility of earnings. The other thing, by the way, is when those earnings are volatile, the share price tends to follow. And so as an investor, again, that's okay if you're prepared to live with some volatility. But just bear that in mind. If you are buying a business or holding a business like this, you are almost certain to have a very, very bumpy ride. If you're someone who's going to panic when the share price falls, if you're simply going to kind of you know get sick with worry and want to sell, make the pain go away, this is not the company for you because there are going to be almost certainly times when this thing looks fantastic, times when it looks terrible. And if you're going to hold for the long term, you need to be okay with both of those, not get carried away in either direction. For me, a, a solid hold. I think I agree with Joshua. If the price was meaningfully higher at any point, I probably would be exiting. Yeah, they're um, not necessarily the sleep well at night type of stocks, are <laughs> exactly. they? They're, if you get anxious, exactly. they're probably not ones that you want to go into. Let's yep. go to our second stock, Magellan Financial Group. Um, and this has been proposed by Nick. And interestingly enough, my Magellan for many, many years was a sleep well at night stock. And unfortunately, yep. um, it's been going for a very tumultuous time. And um, yeah, I'm really keen to get your thoughts, gentlemen, on this one, because there has been some action in terms of corporate activity in the space, but it's very hard to turn around the ship with a company like this. So I might swap it around. Scott, what are your thoughts on Magellan at these levels? Is it is it a, a screaming buy? <laughs> I wish it was. And you know what? The value hunter in me wants to believe it is. If you look at what's happened with this share price, it's actually a six and a half times earnings with a 16% fully frank yield. Now, that, of course, is a trailing yield. And you've only got to look at the performance of the funds under management and the share price to have a very, very good sense. That's probably not a sustainable dividend. And so we talk about dividend yield traps a lot. Plenty of people say, I just want the highest yielding stocks on the market. If you're looking backwards, Magellan's going to be almost the top of that list. I don't know that's a sustainable dividend. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. And here's the challenge. I love the funds management businesses. If you think about what they do, the market tends to go up over time. That's positive. There's going to be more money being added to the market over time. Think about superannuation and private savings. That's a positive. They get to clip the ticket in a really scalable way when funds under management are growing because you only need one chief investment officer. You need one uh, portfolio manager, maybe out a second when the funds get really big. But this scales beautifully, except operating leverage is both a blessing and a curse because when it goes the other way, when you start losing some of those funds, that's almost pure profit that disappears because you can't sack your portfolio manager. You can't get rid of your CFO. Um, you're stuck with those costs as the funds walk out the door. And this is the Magellan problem. They've lost a lot of funds under management. I think Almost all of our viewers would know that. Um, this was a high flyer, one of the best names in the business. 
I'm going to take a, a small and, and tongue-in-cheek victory lap, Danielle. Um, when Magellan sponsored the Men's Ashes Tour, uh, the England Tour of Australia, <laughs> I, at that point, I remember saying to my colleagues, I should check what I did on social media. I hope I did. I may not have. Um, that, you know, when a fund manager starts to sponsor the cricket, you could probably say the top's in. Now, I was being completely facetious. I wasn't forecasting. I had no idea. Uh, it turns out, though, it wasn't miles off. It was a few years ago now. But look, here's the, it's not, that's not why, by the way. But there's a bit of... A bit of, first, I suppose, hubris is a company level, but it also, because these things tend to be cyclical, it's a very, very, very rare fund manager that can outperform all the time. And when you think about the fickle nature of funds, particularly wholesale funds, but also retail funds, um, we know that the average fund fails to beat the market and the average fund investor fails to beat the average fund. And that's because they move around too quickly. They take their money out, they chase last year's winner, they jump out of last year's loser, all that kind of stuff. So that's what Magellan's suffering from now is a whole lot of institutional and retail clients have lost faith, lost hope, lost belief in Magellan. That could be a buying opportunity. If we're sitting here in two years' time and the share price has doubled or tripled, I won't be at all surprised. But it's also possible. If that performance doesn't turn around, the share price could halve and halve again. And you think, well, hang on, it's been such a horrible loss so far. How could it possibly go even further than that? One of my favorite investing lines is a stock that fell 90% mm. is one that fell 80% mm. and then halved again, right? So they can always fall further, always fall harder. I want to love Magellan. I want to buy it because I like the fund's management structure and business operating leverage. I like the brand. I like their past success. Their investing style also rings true to me. But at the end of the day, you are not victim of any of those things or going to benefit from those. It is all about fund flows. And while I'm not a market timer, you want to start to see that at least flatten and hopefully going to, well, not reverse, but the, the outflow is going to reverse. You want to see more inflows and outflows to know or hope, maybe believe that Magellan's woes in terms of fund outflows have finished. I don't know that we're there yet. I'm, again, I'm not saying we're not, I'm not making a prediction, but without knowing, you've got to figure the risks are on the downside. So despite the dramatic fall in the share price, despite what looks like a low PE, I can't buy it at these levels. It's a very, very solid hold. If I held it now, you probably lost some money, so my commiserations for those who've held it down this level. I wouldn't run away from it necessarily, uh, but I wouldn't be buying it. There's going to be a time. Uh, we should chat about this regularly. I'm sure we probably will. Uh, but there will be a time when Magellan's worth buying. I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, it's very, very hard when a company experiences that deterioration in, um, I suppose, morale as well, having you know yes, worked, yeah. worked at a company like Bearings that we went under and just even mm. sustaining that momentum because people start to leave and then once someone else starts to leave and before you know it, you've got a similar erosion going on with management. So, Josh, do you have a slightly different take on turning the big Magellan ship around? Uh, unfortunately not. Um, I'm of the view that uh, these fund managers can be, you know, the, the vortex, you know, almost based on performance because, you know, a lot of the analysts that are, that are working and, and portfolio managers for these companies, you know, they're remunerated by um, our performance. So once that goes, you know, you'll see quality talent leave to other funds that are outperforming and, and getting those um, bonuses paid, uh, then, you know, performance will suffer even more. They'll lose even further clients. So this company's had um, an array of issues going on for it for, for the last few years. So um, not surprising that, you know, revenues have halved and their earnings are down almost 70%. Um, funds outflows are, are still decreasing so they dropped another 2.2 billion only to 42 uh 43 sorry billion at the moment so um i do agree that 
the environment will ultimately benefit this business in the future, particularly with US stocks rebounding. Um, however, just because of the level of turmoil, there's been too much damage within this company that they're not going to be well positioned to take advantage of that. So I'd, I'd, at this point, I'd still suggest selling um, and looking to take advantage of what you you know think is going to benefit in the market directly. Go and buy those shares that you think are going to do well. You know, go and buy those companies that you want to be involved in long term. Um, you know, fund managers can be a great way to get exposure to the markets, but uh, yeah, it can definitely work to the downside as well. I might just throw a fastball question in. Is there another fund manager that um, you would like, Joshua? And then I'll put that to you as well, Scott. Uh, well, just looking at the, the macro environment, I think Challenger, which does the annuities and uh, bonds for a lot of self-funded retirees, with the bond market being a little bit more attractive, um, you know, they've continued to really grow that part of their business, uh, I believe I read in their last report. So, um, yeah, I think that's much well better well positioned in, in this market environment at the moment. Yeah, no, that's a, a fair enough comment. Uh, what about you, Scott? Have you got a preferred uh, fund manager that you'd look at it at in this environment? Uh, a couple. So we have a buy recommendation on Australian Ethical Investments. Uh, AEF is the code uh, for for kind of again for long term investors. This one looks expensive and has been for a long time. Uh, the share price also really volatile. But ethical money, I think, will be sticky. I think from a retail perspective, in particular, both superannuation and private investments, they continue to grow funds under management over time. That have done a really good job. Now, performance hasn't been great of late. And that's largely because the sectors that they tend to invest in haven't done as well as the sectors they tend to avoid, ethical investors in general, not Australian ethical, by the way. And they all disguise I own shares in Australian ethical. So I like those guys. Uh, also, Pinnacle Investment, PNI is the code. Uh, these guys are a diversified kind of fund of funds or, or a house of funds, probably a better way to put it. Um, they own a couple of different, or stakes in a couple of four or five, six different uh, fund managers. So you get some nice internal diversification there. It kind of removes the risk. You don't get the full upside. But also, if one of those funds does a Magellan, uh, then uh, you've got some more diversification internally there. Uh, they also clip the ticket on the way through with administration and stuff like that. So there's two. Australian Ethical, probably my top one. And Pinnacle Investments is interesting. Oh, great. Thank you so much. And just a reminder to all the guests that that is uh, not uh, basically recommendations, do your own research, but certainly some alternatives. Let's quickly move on because I'm aware of uh, time disappearing. Frontier Digital Ventures, FDV, picked by Rudy. Uh, I had a look at this. Um, wow, the share price hasn't been too kind to shareholders. Um, I believe it's a composition of uh, an owner and operator of multiple online businesses, marketplace businesses, and obviously post the pandemic, some of those businesses may not be doing well. Scott, what are your thoughts on this one? So I really like the idea of Frontier, but it's obviously very risky. These guys are trying to take the classifieds business model into developing countries. Now, it's been tried before to varying degrees of success. Uh, iCar Asia tried to do it with car classifieds, of course. iProperty, uh, once upon a time as well. Um, these are businesses that, you know, if you take an existing model, existing know-how, existing software often, and try and take it to the developing world, you get there first, the whole land grab story playing out a little later in some of these countries than it has in Australia and most of the Western economies. Uh, that is a really, really enticing business model. And I quite like Frontier for that purpose. Now, it's going to be very risky. It's going to be super volatile. It's not making any money, which doesn't make it popular among investors right now. Tech and particularly loss-making tech is very strongly on the nose. But I do think as a business, it has a very significant shot at doing pretty well. The reason is because they've made lots of little bets. 
There are multiple different categories, multiple different jurisdictions. Not many of those have to stick to justify the current market cap. Now, maybe none of them do. Maybe it's a complete washout. That's always possible. I mentioned it was risky. But you think about what's happened in classifieds, what we know about cars, property, employment. Take that overseas. Uh, As those markets develop, as they become more affluent, if you're there first, if you're the only name in town, think about car sales versus what was CarPoint once upon a time and half a dozen others. Uh, Seek, similarly, Monster tried to get in. Uh, There's plenty of others besides. So if you're there early, you get a real toehold and you grab onto that, that can be really, really profitable. So this one, I think I'm going to call it a a very cautious buy, Danielle. Uh, I think the risk reward is really positive on it, but the range of outcomes is enormous. It could go up meaningfully. I'm talking multiples from here. It also, frankly, there's, there's there's a future where it goes broke. Just runs out of money, and at the moment, there's no venture funding. So um, I would I would cause one a cautious buy if you have tolerance for risk with a small, tiny portion of your portfolio. Fair enough. Uh, yes, not for the faint-hearted. Joshua? Exactly. Would you dip your toe into this one? Um, it depends on your time frame. So, look, in the short term, uh, it doesn't look too pretty. It's a very tough environment for them at the moment. Very capital intensive. They're going and buying these established businesses. They're not necessarily, um, you know, creating them. Um, one thing I do like is that uh, the founder was a uh, very strong management. He was at Rio Group as a general manager for 10 years, um, mm. where the company went from 5 mil to 150 mil. Uh, he was then CEO of listed iProperty Group, which did extremely well during that five-year period as well. So he's been with Frontier and founded Frontier um, 10 years ago. He's got a lot of skin to gain, about 10% of the company, but he definitely is facing his most difficult challenge here. Um, They've recently done a capital raise. Like I said, it's a capital-intensive business um, at 56 cents. Unfortunately, it's broken below that. Another not a good sign for the short term. Um, I'd definitely prefer something that is a lot more established and an industry leader like Rio Real Estate.com, um, REA Group, depending on how you want to say it. Um, they're industry leaders in the Aussie market, and they're also expanding into these emerging markets as well. So um, whilst management is good, um, you know, this company, Frontier, is in danger a little bit of the bigger guys coming in and taking over market share of the assets that they own. Yeah, fair enough. But risk of becoming completely irrelevant with um, those capital costs that they have. So is that an avoid then, Joshua? Yeah, definitely. Okay, and avoid. Fair enough. Let's quickly move on to Capricorn Metals, picked by Michael. So we're back in the gold space. I had a look. It's been performing quite well. It, uh, formerly known as Malagasy Minerals, apparently, with the Kalawinda Gold Project. And I always stumble over Australian resource project (laughs) names. So apologies for mispronunciation. (laughs) Scott, can you feel my pain with those? Anyway, what's... uh, Gold. Does gold take your fancy? Um, I'm glad you pronounced it. I didn't have to, Daniel. So thank you for taking a bullet for for, for all of us. Uh, Look, you know, it's it's a fascinating story. No, honestly, the gold doesn't take my fancy for reasons you might expect. I'm not a commodities investor, generally speaking. If I am going to invest in commodities, I'm looking for the low cost producer. And I'm looking for a time in which the commodity price itself is closer to the marginal cost of production. Why? because the market won't sustain a price below that for any extended period of time. And it means your risk on the downside is limited, or maybe I shouldn't say limited, is much, much less than it could otherwise be. You can always go to zero, everything can. On the upside, then you've got plenty of upside potential. So that's what I'm looking. I almost bought Evolution Gold a few years ago. Didn't quite pull the trigger, should have. 
Um, so, you know, that but it was exactly that sort of scenario, low cost, low commodity price, big upside potential. That's what I'm looking for with commodities. I don't think Capricorn meets that test. I will say one thing quickly. This was a business that lost money for the first nine years of the last decade and only made money last year. In fact, made a lot of money. So you kind of go, great, this thing finally came good. Now, I will say, if you look at the share price chart, the price at the beginning of 2019 was about 34 odd cents. Now $4.69 today as we mm. speak. And it didn't get profitable until 2022. So for that year, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, you had a share price that was rising and rising and rising and rising. By the time the news was in, I won't say it was too late to buy because the share prices kept going up. But it's just a reminder that by the time, you, you know, if you wait for that stuff and you can, the price might have already gone. On the flip side, you were taking big risks over those first three of those four years by saying, I think they'll do it, I think they'll do it, I think they'll do it. What I love about this is Capricorn's absolutely done it. They have done exactly what they said they'd do. This is a, one of those, this is the story that works, right? This is the, this is the dream. When you get a 10 or well, almost a 15x uh, return on your money over that four-year period because the company comes good, that's fantastic. Others, not so fortunate, not so lucky. So just a reminder on both sides of that one. This is a, this is a company done good, a really good news story. The problem is we're still looking at 20 times profit. So if you looked at a business and said, when it gets profitable, I'll buy it. It's finally done that. Now you're paying 20 times. Um, no, I'm not going to buy it at the current price. The gold price is elevated. Again, no prediction where it goes next. I don't do predictions on commodity prices or share prices. But you want to look at trying to buy these things when the odds are in your favor. That's a low commodity price and a low cost producer. Frankly, probably a low share price too if you can get it, of course. We're nowhere near any of those three for Capricorn. So I'm sitting this one out. Okay. And avoid on that one. Yes, mm -hmm. for those that actually managed to stay and stay patient, they would be very happy. But as we all know, Absolutely. staying patient is not always that easy. Joshua, do you have a different take on this one? No, obviously the, the chart tells a very strong story of how this company has gone. Um, obviously the, the price of gold has uh, been helping them in, in more recent time, but um, they've clearly got strong assets. You know, it's a, it's a strong uptrend. It's, it's nearing those all-time highs. Um, so, yeah, it is it is relatively high on its own performance, but, you know, no areas of concern and it, it doesn't look like slowing anytime soon. So um, if you're in this one, I'd, I'd continue to hold. Um, no reason to sell what seems like a, a really quality business. Um, but that being said, you know, always, always be... Um, looking to take some risk off the table if you've done extremely well out of this. I wouldn't be buying it just because it has moved, you know, the very common uh, phenomenon in the market when a company moves from, you know, producing uh, or to, to produce, from exploring to producing and it does exactly what it said it's going to do, that's when the, uh, you know, share price will mature. So I think that's occurred. Uh, where it goes from here is, is a lot more uncertain. Okay, so that's basically just you're going to sit on a hold on that one. Okay, fair enough. Let's move along swiftly. Aravella Therapeutics picked by Shiraz. And basically, this has had a really, really good run. Uh, we're talking about a biotech oncology and T-cell treatment, uh, you know, biotech company. Um, fabulous run. Is it time to exit and sell, says Shiraz. Uh, sorry, Scott. <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, well, so it had a great run. And what is really cool, speaking of businesses that have done exactly what they said they were going to or what they hoped to do, uh, this is wonderful news because the company has actually been able to release some research, presented a paper to a recent conference showing that their therapeutic solution or treatment for leukemia has what, here's the phrase, confers a survival benefit. 
In other words, it means people are living longer with the treatment, at least in early stage trials. That's all the share price rocket. I think it almost tripled uh, on the back of that announcement. So that you can see the, the chart there. That's what that's what's happened. It's a it's a really good news story. And look, I love these businesses that do well because they they're all trying to find new ways of solving really complex, really serious medical problems. And so we want to cheer these guys on. Really, really great result. Love the fact they've done so well. The challenge for investors is this is still a 10-year loss-making business. It's still only $67 million market cap despite that tripling. So it's at a 20-odd million to $67 million. A few people are having a, an expensive glass of champagne over the weekend, and justifiably so. They've done well. Um, but it's a real question as to what comes next. With all of these therapeutics, the occasional company does really, really well. And then everyone says, I hope I've got the next, and insert company name here, CSL, uh, something like that. It's really, really difficult, even for medical experts, to know which compounds will be able to pass through three stages of trials and be commercialized, preferably with a distribution deal with a larger partner or be bought out by a larger partner to make final money for shareholders. And even after that survival benefit's been reported, which is, again, great news, it's very, very uncertain whether Aravel becomes the next great business, uh, the, you know, the, the next CSL, everyone wants to be, or not, and most don't. And so you're absolutely betting against you know, the odds are against you when you're, when you're investing in these sort of businesses. If you owned it, you've probably done really well. Here's the problem. If you owned it at three cents, you're probably happy to have a, a bit of a moonshot. You probably think, well, maybe it goes higher again. Maybe it doesn't. If you didn't own it at three cents, you're probably not going to buy it either way. Um, so it's a, it's a challenge to, uh, for each investor's uh, individual uh, investment approach, philosophy, style, structure, strategy, call it what you want. I would be absolutely selling this if I owned it right now. You've made some good money. We don't know what happens next. Maybe it's a dollar stock. Maybe it's a one cent stock. You just can't know. Uh, and so it, it, it's lotto ticket stuff. I hope they're successful for their shareholders. I hope they're successful for their patients. Um, but I can't uh, in any good conscience say at this point there is a high expected likelihood, probability of success. And so I wouldn't be buying this. I owned it, I'd sell it today. Okay, fair enough. Joshua, just very briefly, sorry, because we have to move it along. Uh, if you owned it, would you sell it or would you be a buyer at the moment? Um, I'd very much take the take the uh, approach of selling the news. So the news has come out, it's spiked on on the rumor. Important to keep in mind that this one has shown good test results, but on mice at this stage. So there's a long way to go before that gets to, you know, showing success in humans. So I'd take advantage of this recent spike and sell. Okay, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Let's just quickly run through what we've had. Stock of the day, Pilbara Minerals. Uh, basically, it's in the too hard basket for Scott. Uh, Josh is also uh, an avoid on that one. Moving through the top five viewers picks, Parenti, we have from Scott, a hold slash sell into strength. And ditto from Joshua, a hold and sell into strength. Mage Magellan Financial Group, uh, Scott has a solid hold on that one, whereas Joshua has a sell. Then if we touch on Frontier Digital, uh, lots to like about the management, very capital intensive. Scott went out with a cautious buy on that, um, whereas Joshua has an avoid. And then if we move on to uh, Aravella Therapeutics, well, no, sorry, Capricorn Metals, we're in the gold sector. Um, basically, we have an avoid from Scott. It's had a really good run. And for Joshua, we have a hold. And then we just touched on Aravella Therapeutics. And uh, we've had a great run in that stock. So both of our experts today have a sell on that.
So we are now going to move on to our next five stocks. Actually, no, we're going to touch on the portfolio. So just to remind everybody that the call is tracking our own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch at Ausbiz. So let's check in and see in where the portfolio update is. Going into April, New Century was removed, WiseTech was added, weightings of Wes Farmers and Macquarie Group went up by 2% each, another 1.5% was added to Boss Resources, and 7% cash was spent. And let's just check in and see how the portfolio is performing. So far, the fund is 10.6% on a cumulative return basis. It's basically up that since inception on March the 1st. So keep sending in your requests and the call will switch on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Right, let's have a quick preview of the next stocks. We have Coden, Alcom, Bubs, Flight Center and Block. So gentlemen, are we ready to get going? Codan, uh, Scott, this is our sixth pick by David mm. and uh, manufactures ele electronic products. What do you think of Codan, uh, the code CDA? Yeah, it's been a, a fantastic uh, story for a very, very long time. We've seen share prices do remarkable things. In fact, the share price now is about where it was in May 2019. But far from having gone nowhere, we went to $18 and then down to $4. And now we're back to where we were four and a bit years ago. It's a it's a reminder that even the, the relatively niche businesses like Codenic can have very, very, very good times and really tough times. It's a great little business gold detectors and uh, mine communication or general communication equipment are its two biggest lines of business. And it does a pretty good job of doing it. I've got to say, for all of the share price carry on, if you look at the performance of the business itself, it's actually been pretty strong over the last little while. In fact, it's you know, up and to the right earnings wise, if you didn't know what the share price had done, and you said, just show me the last, well, nine years, I think only in one of those years, have profits actually gone backwards. So you know, how do we get to $18 and then back to four and back to six? Uh, that's sentiment. That's the market doing what the market does, which is being happy, sad, miserable, excited, guessing, uh, hoping, dreaming. Uh, when you remind <laughs> yourself that it's all about the business itself, that brings you right down to earth. Now, I would love to have bought it at 18. would love to bought it back at four. Uh, but either way, if you held the business over this time, earnings have gone from 2014. Earnings per share were five cents, now 56 cents. I mean, that's been a remarkable growth story. And so that's, I guess, a real reminder of the share price only tells you what the market thinks. It doesn't tell you what the business is doing. I really like Codan as an operation. Uh, it, frankly, 16 times earnings or so is about where you want it. 3.6% dividend yield. If you're looking for a fair, uh, fair price for a pretty good business, again, you've got to almost try to divert yourself from the share price, then that's not a bad price to pay. I don't think it's cheap enough to be buying right now, I have to say. So I'm going to uh, disappoint you and go right down the middle with another hold. Uh, but it is, it is one of those businesses you want to keep an eye on. If it fell 20% from here, I reckon it's probably a buy. If it got up uh, another 50%, you'd probably take your money off the table. Okay. I know that's a big range, so okay. that's why it's right in the middle of a hold. For Great. Me. Thank you, Scott. Um, Joshua, what would you be doing at these levels? Yeah, look, it's been struggling for a little while now, but showing some signs of life again, um, coming up to a pretty key 
level of resistance. I'd be looking to take um, some money off the table now that you've had that bounce in this company. Um, it's going through a little bit of a identity crisis with itself. You know, pre-COVID, they primarily just did the metal detectors. It was 70% of their business. Now that's 35% of their business, with the majority being in the communications side. So it's had to completely switch its, um, you know, its, its business model. Um, they've also had to diversify their geographic location. Last year, Africa made up about 27% of their revenues, um, but in the last report, it was about 8%, and it's expected to be a very small part moving forward. So they've had to uh, shift and, and pivot, and you know, it, it's a communications business now. That makes up the majority of their um, business, which is doing well. They exceeded their own guidance, so that part of their business is doing well, and that's why we're seeing uh, life in the stock. You know, they have military and security applications with their uh, technology, but um, just think it's uh, you know a little bit too early for that part of the business to carry the entire the entire share price. So I'd be looking to take profits off the table here. Okay, fine. Thank you. Right, let's move on to Alcom, and uh, Umberto would like to know about. Yet again, we have another lithium stock, although I do know that a lot of brokers really, really like Alcom. So let's swap it around. Joshua, would you be buying Alcom? Yeah, again, I did say Pilbara was our, our preferred name. Um, so I'll definitely, definitely stick with that. Um, Orkham's been very volatile, particularly lately. Um, from those highs, you know, to the to the recent lows, it's down about fifty percent in a couple of months. So, you know, whilst people may be in nice and early, um, they still saw the value of their position drop by about half. Um, I'd actually prefer a little bit more diversification. So, looking at something like Min Resources. Um, they've got the lithium market, you know, they've also got iron ore, but they've got, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> they've got that um, um, mining service as part of their business as well. So I'd much prefer mineral resources. Okay, so basically the preference are Pilbara and mineral resources. Scott, dare I say, we're back in that resources <laughs> sector again. Danielle, we are. And I'm going to make this very short and sweet. We are pushed for time, but frankly, there's nothing else I can add to what I said earlier. Uh, I don't invest in lithium companies. I don't expect to anytime soon. Maybe when volumes and prices stabilize, I might have a look. If I owned it now, if someone gave me some more chem shares, I'd tell them. Uh, I think you want to invest in higher probability outcomes. I don't think you can do that safely with lithium, in my personal opinion. Uh, so I would sell. Okay, fair enough. Now we're going to move on to Bubs and Constance has uh, picked Bubs. And uh, I suppose we're in a soft commodity space or a product related to that. Scott, would you look at Bubs? I have looked at Bubs quite a lot, Danielle, because I, I, you know, I, I don't love loss-making businesses, and Bubs hasn't made a dollar in the last 10 Oh, no, it did, sorry. Back in 20, no, it didn't. No, lost money all, all, all 10 years. Uh, so this is a business that is trying desperately to get to scale. And these sorts of businesses can do really well. We just talked about Capricorn Metals before. If and when you get to the holy grail, in their case, it was gold mining. In this case, it's, well, in for point, maybe, maybe that's white gold uh, or powdered gold. It has been in the last little while. Remember the days when uh, Bubs and uh, Bellamy's and A2 mm. Milk were through the roof? Absolutely. Um, it, it got really exciting for a little while. They still haven't delivered a profit. The good news if you're an investor is sales are growing meaningfully. Uh, two cents a share back in 2017, 
14 cents a share in 2022. It's hard to say they're not on track broadly. The challenge has been, of course, has been changes at the executive suite, uh, plenty going on in this business. Maybe it's the next big thing, but it hasn't been able to yet. Maybe you lose a bit like Capricorn Metals if you wait too long. So I'm not saying there's necessarily a chance to buy this. Um, but given the trajectory, given the history, losses haven't, I mean, you know, they're as bad as they were today in 2017. Maybe, like some of the other zero and the like, they spend up big and try and grow scale and then all of a sudden burst into profitability. If they do that, it's going to be great for shareholders. Too rich for my blood. No, I would I sell probably, if you own it again, you own it because you know the risk, you understand what you're doing. That sales growth's happening. If I owned it, I probably would hold it, frankly. Uh, but that's only because you probably bought it. If you bought it for the right reasons, which is you believe that someday they're going to break through. Um, so if that's the case, probably hold on to it. Do I expect on a probability basis it's market beating? Not really. So uh, a hold with a, with an asterisk, I think. A hold with an asterisk. Yes, it's it's really not the environment, is it, for loss making companies at the moment? No. Um, <laughs> these high interest rates. Joshua, um, would you be tempted? <laughs> Yeah, look, unfortunately, costs have blown out with that US expansion, you know, which seems like such a strong thing for their business when it was announced. But unfortunately, you can see there from the chart, it's just given all that up in that time. Um, you know, employee costs, admin, marketing. Uh, if it wasn't for an impairment, they would have had a, a 40 mil cash outlay that financial year. So, um, look, I think they seem to be doing things okay. Look, they're the fastest growing of the top six. They've got the FDA runway to sell in the US. You know, they've got the, the rights to package up in China. However, um, you know, the uncertainty around the US expansion is going to continue to lead the share price lower. And um, yeah, I think it would just be irresponsible to ignore all the selling pressure that's coming under this stock. You know, intrinsic value on a, on a loss-making venture, especially with the US expansion, is very difficult to determine. Um, you know, it's got a market cap of 150 mil. You know, the market could reprice that to 50 mil. We just don't know. So I would definitely be selling this one. Keep it on your radar if you really like the business. But uh, yeah, I think just uh, in the next next year or two, it's going to struggle with that massive capital expenditure it needs to do with unknown, unknown rewards. Yeah, indeed. One could actually say there's easy ways to make money, uh, which could be <laughs> Flight Centre, which is our next stock picked by Henry. Joshua, are you feeling like doing a little bit of travelling overseas? <laughs> Oh, look, we've, you know, we've, we've harped on a lot about the travel thematic for the last couple of years, obviously. Um, we've preferred Webjet uh, in, in recent times and, you know, as the reopen got a little bit more mature. Qantas was was it was it was a preferred name too. Um, Flight Center it really has lagged in the recovery, and I'm I'm not surprised. Look, it's a very capital intensive business. You know, it's always been a, a, a huge um, underperformer in the travel sector. You know, pre COVID, uh, Webjet was picking up market share consistently from it due to its tech advances as well. Um, I think. The overall sector has got a lot of bid tone, so it'll probably appreciate in share price in the short term. However, you know, it's not a business that I'd love to hold. You know, corporate travel is doing some great expansion stuff. I'd, I'd prefer names like that that are, you know, looking to grow a little bit more aggressively um, and looking to have a little bit more of a unique service offering rather than just a, a physical shop front that people can come in and talk to a real person. You know, those days are, are, are kind of gone now. and. 
even when the business was, you know, prior to COVID, it wasn't doing well on that business model. They struggled to implement tech into their business. And uh, yeah, it's really, really sort of showing with the travel recovery and it lagging those other names. So I'd hold, but once it appreciates a little bit more, just look to get out. Okay, a hold to a sell. Scott, tempted, tempted by Flight Centre? Yes, uh, oh. but not tempted enough, Danny. Oh. I'm not tempted enough. Sorry. <laughs> Gosh. I, look, so here's the thing. Um, they say never waste a crisis. Uh, Graham Turner, CEO, founder of Flights, and has done a really good job of not wasting the current crisis. They shut a whole lot of shop fronts. Uh, Joshua's right, by the way. Their online digital strategy has been sadly lacking and frankly still is. Uh, they just haven't been able to get cut through there when others have done a pretty good job. That being said, here's why I, I, I'm mindful of Flight Centre. Despite that, despite that, over the over the seven years prior to COVID, now that's a massive asterisk, of course, sales per share went from $19.80 to $27.15. Now, that's not a business that's going backwards. It's not a business that's struggling. It's not a business that's suffering because of the lack of digital strategy. Now, they may eventually. So you've got to be careful. That I'm not saying, therefore, it can't ever be a problem. I'm sure at some point, Flight Centre's you know, physical footprint uh, maybe is a serious threat. Here's the thing, when you're not charging your customers anything to make mm. the bookings, when you get paid by the airlines or the hotel hotel uh, uh, chains, then the customer come in and use your services for free. That is a compelling offer, I think, for a lot of people. Now, I haven't used Flight Center for years, but plenty of people still do. Literally, those numbers just went through, show you exactly that. The last three years have been tough. It's a really hard question as to where and when uh, they start to make some money again. So. I reckon if anyone can make a go with this and a really good go with this, it is Screw Turner. Um, he's got a great track record. He's done a fantastic job. He's, again, not wasted that crisis, closed some shop fronts, bought the cost base down, doing a really, really good job of, of right-sizing the business. I actually think they could be more profitable post the pandemic. We're kind of at the end of it now, but you know what I mean? Like, you mm. and we go back to normal, normal times um, than they were before <laughs> it because they've hopefully got rid of a whole lot of costs. My local flight center was busy the other day. Like, it's, you know, people are back there and doing their thing. So I'm not going to say it's a buy. Um, but it's only trading at about nine times pre-COVID earnings. Mm-hmm. And again, if they get back to close to that number, that's starting to look pretty cheap. So I'm a, I'm a hold to a buy potentially. Uh, I'm not going to call it a buy because I don't yet know whether they can get back to those pre-COVID levels. I agree with Joshua about corporate travel. I own that one. It's a buy for us. Um, but Flight Center, I think, is a hold, a very, very good quality company. If I owned it, I'd definitely hang on to it. Um, and potentially look for an opportunity to buy if either the share price fell further or if and when uh, they start to deliver some of those really good financials of years past. Fair enough. Yes. So we're we're not taking off on Flight Centre at this point in time, which <laughs> which leads us. I'm Staying glad grounded. I'm glad you're laughing at my absolutely shocking joke, Scott. <laughs> Somebody's got to if I'm 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 certainly laughing. Anyway. Um, Square block. Oh my golly gosh! Mm. Like what? What can we say about this company? I mean, you know, <laughs> it it was one of the super pandemic stocks. Um, it's obviously got that big short reporters out, uh, short report out on at the moment with some fairly nasty stuff in terms of um, what's been going on. Yeah, Joshua, are we going to find a buy in this one? Uh, unfortunately, not. Um, <laughs> So, uh, look, I think um, I'm a strong believer in um, where there's smoke, there's fire. And even if you, you know, avoid the smoke, you're still going to be a lot better off over the long term. So, you know, there's there's so many companies out there in the ASX. Um, you don't need to, you know, sort of 
by one where there's only a very, very small chance that they're potentially doing the wrong thing and, uh, you know, what's happening under the hood is not what it seems. So, uh, yeah, basically I'd, I'd avoid this one as well. Um, you know, it was one that we kind of, if, if we were, you know, holding afterpay when they came onto the market, we looked to get out and we don't uh, – pretend to be experts on picking individual US stocks. So we took that approach and just, you know, sold our afterpay and see how Square did on its own, or Blocker on its own in the market. And, uh, you know, it hasn't done too well and this just adds to it. So, yeah, I'd be a very strong avoid. I'd avoid anything that, uh, you know, sort of has these damning short reports. A lot of the time they don't actually play out and stocks end up going higher, but, you know, you're going to save yourself a, a, a lot of uh, downside by just getting out of the position, making money somewhere else. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of competition in um, the buy now, pay later, cash apps, and, you know, you've got the big boys like Apple Pay in there. Uh, Scott, I'm guessing yeah, you're not, not tempted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not on this one. Well. So here's the thing. I actually, you know, what? we talk about Block as the afterpay owner, right? I actually think the most impressive part of Block is the other stuff. I've never been a fan of buy now, pay later as a, a concept for consumers and nor particularly as an investment, despite how well afterpay did. Uh, look, honestly, if you took the cash when Block took over afterpay, you made it like a bandit. If you held on, you've lost half your money since. I'm still not convinced these guys, as a, as a buy now, pay later category, has a meaningfully profitable future. I think it's much more likely... Uh, the, old, the old line is when your product becomes someone else's feature, you're in trouble. Mm. I, we know that some banks are offering it. PayPal's now offering it. I own some shares in PayPal for the record. Uh, I don't love the fact they're offering it, but they are. Um, the, you know, there's plenty of others besides who are, who are doing this. And I, I don't know whether that remains profitable. So that's the buy now, pay later bit. I actually really like the Square payment mm-hmm. terminals and the Cash App stuff. I think it's a really, really growing part of their business and a really, really strong one. I actually think Jack Dorsey has frankly dra- dragged the company off you know, in a strange is embracing Bitcoin and blockchain, and maybe that works, maybe it doesn't. That's a whole different conversation. But I kind of think it's lost focus, it's lost direction. Uh, buying buy now, pay later, I think honestly is the same thing for, in theory, reasonable strategic reasons. Uh, I'm not sure that's going to play out as he hoped. Uh, if I could buy the old Square business, what it was then called, I, I would. I'd probably, you know, again, it's loss making, right? So you want to be careful. But I really like that business, growing business, lots of traction. You're right, you're right there's heaps of competition. Uh, but I think it's a really, really good, you know, risk reward business, the Square business alone. Throw in buy now, pay later, throw in Jack Dorsey's uh, potential. Uh, loss of focus, loss of direction because he's chasing this Bitcoin dream. And again, maybe it makes a fortune for, for, for Block for all I know. Um, but, I, but I think it's just, it's just there's too much going on, too much uncertainty. The share price in the US has fallen by three quarters, by the way, since I think it's August 2021. Uh, so it's been a rough ride for there too. Again, along with a lot of other tech stocks, I can't, I can't, I can't like it. I, I want to like it. I love the Square technology. I use it regularly at cafes and restaurants and markets and all sorts of stuff around, around here. So you see it everywhere. I like that part of the business. If I could buy just that, I probably would, uh, but I can't buy the current version of the business, so it's a sell for me. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, I'm with you that um, that Square technology is great, but in its own right, it's probably uh, not enough to support the business as it is. And, mm. um, you know, these, these loss-making tech companies or whatever, it's definitely, we're still not in that environment. So let's mm. summarise uh, the last uh, five of our 10 today. And basically looking at Kodan, great story, says Scott, fair price, but possibly not cheap enough to buy just at this stage. So a whole 
hold and maybe pick up some 20% lower. Uh, Joshua, on the other hand, uh, good story. There's some good projects down the line, but they take profits at this point in time. Looking at Orkham, uh, probably no surprises from Scott that we have a, a sell. Uh, he doesn't invest in the resources commodity space. Well, Josh is very much more disposed towards uh, Pilbara, which is his preferred name, and would like more diversification. So something like mineral sources in that lithium space, which continues to be controversial. Um, when we then have a look at Bubs deciding there possibly could be easier ways to make money. So Scott saying, if you uh, currently hold the stock, then you may want to continue to hold it, but not a buy. And Joshua just feeling like the expansion into the US is very, very capital intensive. It's currently loss making. So we have a sell on Bubs from Joshua. Flight Centre, unfortunately, we're not taking off on Flight Centre either. It hasn't been the day for actually finding lots of buyers. Scott, tempted by Flight Centre, feels management are doing a good job, the CEO, um, but still just a little bit expensive, wants to see that multiple come down to the pre-COVID le levels. So a, high, a hold with possibly a buy into weakness. Uh, Joshua very much preferring some of the other travel stocks, uh, particularly corporate travel. So, uh, and Wedjet as well, even Qantas was one of their buys going back a little bit. So at the moment, Joshua has a hold slash sell on Flight Center. And Unfortunately, we couldn't find any love in the last stock of the day block slash square. So Scott very much likes the square part of the business, but feels a lot of competition in the buy now, pay later. Wouldn't want exposure to that. Um, a lot going on there. It's down 75%. So I'm afraid that one is a sell as well. And Joshua, I loved it. Um, where there is smoke, there is fire. So you might get smoked in this stock. Um, a very much risky stock and to be avoided. So um, thank you all so much for all the stock picks that we've had today. Thank you to our two experts. Uh, excellent stuff. It's a, it's a bit of a shame that we couldn't find any buys, but hey, that's share markets, isn't it? You don't always have a buy. Any stocks you'd like us to be uh, to cover, please go to osbiz.co's forward slash call picks or tweet us at osbiztv. Thank you so much for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow with the call.